This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. Luckily, luckily I'm not for, for, for multiple reasons. One, it's just not, it's like my worst nightmare and it's my wife's worst nightmare. Just, uh-huh. We were, we were born without parental instincts, uh-huh. like none. I heard this guy say one time that there's two ways to be blessed in life. Oh, we're, we're, we're recording now. So, okay. Um, you could be blessed with lots of resources or with cheap taste, you know? Yeah. And I, and I think it's kind of like a blessing to not want kids because it saves you a lot of money. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're expensive as hell. I mean, it's like, uh, every, every new activity is just like a whole new budget line item. I got to figure out with my kids, you know, it's just mm-hmm. like, it's crazy. And then every time something happens, you know, or like, they need my my uh, 16 year old just got his license and so it's like now we've got car repairs now we've got you know all that kind of stuff and it's just it's just crazy yeah but it's it's good too you know yeah oh i'm sure it's yeah i'm sure well you know i am i'm i'm like i think for a lot of people it's just it's incredibly instinctual was it yeah. that way for you like, well, like so, this is something that's in my, I'm going to do, I'm going to reproduce. I mean, if it wasn't, if it wasn't like something that drove us, we, there would be, there wouldn't be 7 billion of us. Right. No, I, I, I had my kid, uh, when I was 19, 20. So it was kind of like, a uh, you know, like, a. I don't, I wasn't, I didn't think about it as hard as I should, you know, and then. My second son I had uh, when I was 34. So then then I had all these like ideas and questions rattling around in my head about like the ecological impact of more kids and like, should should we just adopt or all that kind of stuff. But the first time it was just it was just that, you know, natural ecological or that natural imperative, you know, it just just didn't even I didn't think about it one way or the other. Um, so bo- having it both ways, the uh, the. Uh, easier of the two is just not to think about it right but right i really struggled right. with it frankly um, second time around yeah 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 because you're like just, the world's weighing on you a little heavier when you get to be older yeah absolutely is it seven billion or nine billion how many people are on the planet oh no i think it's nine now okay. but we're, we're kind of plateauing right right yeah, I heard a demographer recently say that we're at peak baby. That there'll that's never good. be more babies than there are right now. You know, I that's kind of like uh I think a whole nother like economic you know issue that we're gonna have to deal with is like the uh, a population decline, right? Like how are you gonna deal with the fact that we don't need more developments? How are you gonna deal with the fact that like like what are contractors going to do? You know, if they're if we're not needing new houses, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's it's going to present its own issues, but then it's going to present its own like solutions too. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Like China is freaking out right now because their fertility rate is so low. Right, it's eight billion. Eight billion, right in the middle. Uh, yeah. So 
Yeah, and the way, and the, I mean, uh, my understanding is that their number one reason for concern, and it's this way in most Asian countries, is, is that uh, uh, you need a vibrant workforce to take care of the elderly. Right. So, you know. And we're going to deal with that someday, too. It's it's tough enough now when we've got more young folks than old folks, but, um, you know. Just, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to have to work later, you know, into in later in life. Uh, it's just crazy to think about because, like, in, there's this way, a sense in which that would be incredibly, like, the ideal life for me. All the technological advantages and a quarter of the people or something like that. Right. Absolutely. That's the dream. I mean, that would be... It'd be great. And and we would have so many fewer uh, uh, environmental challenges, you know, in terms of our maintaining that that technologically advanced lifestyle, right? If we had less, less folks, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of like you, the only ethical way for that to happen is is to happen, you know, naturally with people making that choice to do it themselves, you know, which is otherwise you get into, you know, scary territory with all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. It, and it could, it could portend well for the future with, with, uh, you know, kind of all the stuff that we're dealing with now. Um, or we could screw it up and, you know, it could all just be, (laughs) we just don't manage that decline. Well, and who knows, but yeah. uh, Yeah. Well, if it assages your guilt any about, about having a second child, none of, no less an intellect than Elon Musk is concerned about uh, reduce uh, declining fertility in the in the U.S. Right, and, I, and I've heard it, it. I don't even think I've heard his argument firsthand. Like, like of course I didn't hear it from him directly. Although I've met him twice. Really? At my, yeah, at my wife's ranch. Yeah. Uh, huh. But uh, I just think I've heard people summarize his arguments. And one of them is the argument that how are we going to take take care of the elderly? You know, how are we going to fund social security? But the other one is that he thinks that the challenges that lie ahead are going to require a lot of babies because, you know, you only get so many geniuses per capita. So more right. babies, more geniuses. And the geniuses are the ones that solve all the problems. See and my thought on that is is like the geniuses are not purely genetically determined right like like geniuses are also like it's 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 nurture too you know yeah and so, absolutely so like my greatest wish in life is is to be an uncle right so that i can i can like share the share the uh uh uh, uh educational or or like the 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 child rearing duties and help out and then you know like hand them off when the time is done but like but like help out you know more with that and so uh both of my my wife's uh uh, sister and my brother don't have kids yet so i kind of like adopted that role with with uh some of my friends but i i think it's like i i think you might have more geniuses per capita if you had more like positive you know resources for for the kids that existed right yeah sure yeah you know there's some kids that you could I don't know, you could 
you could put them in Mensa program, even though they didn't don't deserve it, and then send them to Harvard, and they still are going to end up working at a gas station. They just don't have it, you know. Exactly. And then there's other other kids that don't even come anywhere near reaching their potential because the nurture component is is missing. The decent school uh, system, the the stable uh, family situation, and yep. Or in some cases, I think just having something that grabs them. Yeah. You know, yeah, passion. Yep. yep. When you look at Absolutely. like people that like really, really accomplish great things that were like make a major intellectual contribution, it's, it, it's, it's people that, uh, like, like Einstein, for example, who just was just captivated by gravity, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, there's so many ways that people can like make an impact. Right. And, and so like, if you don't have exposure to those things, like, let's say, let's say like Einstein just like, you know, uh, would have just, his parents just said, okay, you know, you're going to go into finance and that's going to be it. And, you know, that's kind of thing. And then he's just a mediocre banker, right? Because he doesn't have the option or he doesn't have the exposure to something like, you know, uh, uh, physics or, or whatever. And it's like that broad based sort of like, uh, uh, ability to, to see where you thrive, I think is, is missing a lot of the time too, from people. So like we could have somebody who works at a, at a gas station because, you know, they could have been the world's greatest mathematician, but they, you know, had a shitty math teacher when they were in third grade and, and turned them off. Right. And so mm-hmm. I just think like, if we, if we can get to a place where there is sort of a, a more universalized, uh, uh, I'm sounding kind of like a communist here, but bear with me. Like, you know, if, if we get to a place where there's like a, a universalized, um, opportunity for, for kids, I think, you, you know, we could have these more geniuses per capita that doesn't solve any of the other problems with declining population, but you know, I, I think that's that's something we got to consider too, you know. Yeah, yeah. It maybe I'm, and I might be more. I might be left of you on that point. Like, so I'm really, I, I'm really convinced that I'm not for quality of outcome by any stretch, but I am for a quality of opportunity. Yeah, I'm um, uh, you, you know, and so that's when it, with kids, it gets tricky. Because it's just by din of bad luck that so many of them end up in bad situations, bad parents, bad school system, et cetera, et cetera. It's not because they didn't work hard enough that they end up in those circumstances. So what? Right. at what point, it seems like there should be some kind of safety net or something that like provides a basic level of stability and instruction for kids you know i couldn't agree more yeah it, and it's it's one of those things where like society as a whole has a very uh big interest in in that being the case right because you're basically like your your um your societal outputs and and inputs uh at that level are so much more effective uh, than they are once you know damage has been done or once once the 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 kid has lost an opportunity for something right um and i yeah, used to and work it happens it. and it can happen super i i gather it happens super young 
like can. a kid, a kid that's been uh, abused or neglected by the time they're four years old, they're kind of messed up. Yep. Yep. And, and, and there's a lot, a lot. I used to teach a lot of classes on this. I used to work at a place where we did uh, um, like emergency uh, stabilization services and, and, and emergency like childcare for kids. Right. I, I ran a place like that for a long time. And yeah, a lot of those kids who have those tough upbringings, once they get to a certain point, but then things stabilize, they're really resilient. Like they, they, they've been through hell, right? But oh. they, but then things stabilize. So then like, you know, you lose your job or whatever happens in the future. Well, compared to what they've been through, that's, that's fucking nothing. Right. And so, yeah. so there, there is a, there is a point where like at any point, if you can stabilize a situation for kids, their outcome is going to be, is going to be better. And, and that is just, it's, it's, it's so much more effective. It's so much more, it's so much less resource intensive to fix the problem then. And it, it, I've just seen so many kids that, that when they get that opportunity, you know, succeed and, and, and do really well, even though they had a really, you know, fucked up life from like birth to five or whatever. So I just, I think it's like, I don't, you know, and even like older kids, like, like 16, 17, 18, like sometimes, you know, they can, they can kind of figure that out. And so I just think, yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's that, that uh, equality of opportunity, uh, at least at that point would be, um, ideal. <clears throat> yeah. And, and like the, yeah. And the other side of the helicopter parenting is like, Oh my God. Like you yeah. just said is, you know, that's the, like you just alluded to is, is bad to you ever heard, heard uh, Jonathan Haidt, that social scientist who wrote a no. book called the coddling of the American mind. <laughs> and it's about like the peer reviewed sociological research on the effects of helicopter parenting. And it is not good. No, uh, but uh, it, I think so. I think about that stuff, and I think I probably had the perfect upbringing because you know it was kind of a rough school system. I mean, the te- some of the teachers were quite good, but like you, you get picked on, bullied, you, you get beat up a little bit. You had to kind of figure out how to negotiate or like um, handle. Uh, disagreeable kids right but then i would when i came home like i had my dad was a little hard on us but still you never wondered whether they they my parents loved us you know Mm -hmm. so like the right a good mix of like really having to figure it out for yourself but having like that secure environment to go home to you know right yeah that bedrock that's important um yeah, and that's and did you also kind of like have the freedom to to experiment and and fuck up, it, but then learn from that? Because I think like yeah, that's a lot, a lot more missing. than kids. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. We we grew up on a lake, and we'd just be we'd all be out swimming, like from the time we were five years old, just be out swimming that lake with no one around. We'd swim in rainstorms. We'd hike around in the woods, and my parents would have play around in the woods, shoot BB guns. My parents have no idea where we were. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's how you learn and that's how you, you like have, uh, that's how you learn and that's, and that's how you, you're, you're able to like slowly grow into your adulthood, right? Like your parents are, are there to say, well, you, you can take the BB gun out, but you can't take the 22. Right. And like, right. they're, they're, they're allowing you to do those things that, that, uh, uh, 
you know, kind of, uh, you learn from, but in a way where the consequences are managed at least somewhat. Right. And yeah, I think that's missing a lot now. I, I, I see even the difference between my, my older son is 16 and my younger son is four and the difference in societal expectations around, um, supervision, et cetera, uh, between that has, is massive. It's, it's totally, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it's, and, and that's only been like what, 12 years. Yeah. Difference, yeah. You know? But like, yeah. it's, it's definitely noticeable in my mind. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's, it's, we, it's kind of weird because it's like crime rates are at historic lows. I mean, they might yeah. have gone up a tiny bit in the last few years, but nothing right. compared to the eighties. No. So in the eighties, when crime was way more rampant, we, I had way more freedom than right. kids do now. Right. So yeah, yeah, I always wondering about. Oh, I always wonder about what caught. Is it social media? So like now, you hear about every little bad thing that happens to every little kid. So yeah. people are more paranoid. I don't know. I don't know. I think that's a huge part of it, honestly. Um. Should we get to the matter at hand? Let's do it. Okay, so Evan Curtin is a is a hunt. I don't even know what we call ourselves a hunt quietly contributor, a hunt quietly yeah. leadership person. I'll and, take either title. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna have to work that out. Uh, but yeah, Evan is part of the team. He's a core part of the team, and I'm delighted to have him on board. And Today, we're going to talk, we're going to, Evan's going to, Evan elicited some questions through social media channels for me, and I appreciate you doing that, Evan. So mm. these are questions that people that are kind of like following what we do and learning a little bit about what we think, and it's very, what what we think is not mainstream and it causes people some consternation. So we thought, Evan thought it'd be good to have them reach out and say, what, okay, so what about uh, the hunt quietly stances? Do you have questions about, and you got how many questions, like nearly 50? Yeah, we got, we got more than that actually, but some of them were kind of repeats. So I think overall we got about 80, uh, between Instagram and Reddit. Um, and then some of them were real similar to each other. So we kind of condensed them into one. So we're not gonna be able to get through all the questions by any means, but. Okay. Okay. So before we jump in the episode, our episode that came out this week was my talk at the Pope and Young banquet back in March. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I, and I promised somebody that I would clear something up. I have, a, there's an outfitter that I know a little bit. He, I, he's been on the podcast. His name is Rod Paschke. And during that Pope and Young talk, I state that in 2016, according to Outdoor Life, there were, there was something like 19 million acres in Montana that were leased by outfitters for hunting. And I got that figure from Outdoor Life, an article that Andrew McKean had written. But that that figure is an error. It's got to be because I can't find anything else even near that. So there, I, I don't believe that value value, any, and I'm going to stop um, perpetuating that 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 statistic. Like it, I think it's more like seven million. Okay. 
So I just wanted to clear that up. I, I pledged that I would. So nice. said, man, he's like, cause that's like one third of the acres, one third of the privately owned acres in Montana would be 19 million. So he's like, man, that really makes us look bad. Would you mind saying something <laughs> about that? Well, I, I oh. admire the fairness there. That's, that's, uh, it's yeah, good. I don't want to disseminate information. If I can't, if we can't achieve our ends, honestly, then one reason why I wouldn't want to achieve our ends dishonestly is because then you wouldn't know if they were the right ends. You're a good Bayesian. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want, I want people to update their prior beliefs in light of true evidence. So, right. to your, you know, so like, let's say that, let's see that, that people started to pay attention to us, but it was because we weaved a narrative that's based on things that aren't true, then we're not going to end up driving at what's best for the hunting community. That's right. I don't think, I mean, I, I just, I, I'm not that confident in my stances to like manip manipulate people into doing what I think is best. I just want people to think for themselves. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of the, the great things about this whole kind of uh, movement or whatever is that it's, it's, we're, we're trying to be as fact based or as like, um, you know, we're, we're trying to support our, our arguments, uh, as best we can, you know, through, through, through facts. And, um, that's hard sometimes because like some of this stuff has, has not been well, uh, studied, but, but some of it has. And so I think, I think like if somebody came away from these conversations or these podcasts with like, oh, I, I agree with 60% of it. Cause that's what I, I see being backed up by the facts. I, you know, that I'd be happy with that. I don't know if you would, but it's, it's like, if they, if, if the facts lead somebody to, to agree with us to, you know, to a degree that that's not a hundred percent, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. Know, absolutely. I, I, I feel I feel blessed just to have the opportunity to say what I think. Yeah. And I, I, I think I'm right. I think like when I say I'm right, I, what we've arrived at as like our main bullet points that are on the web, our website that they're getting revised. We're revising the website right now and we're, but and the what bullets will get revised then too. But I think of those basic tenants or in prescriptions that are embodied in our like bullet points as being what would, would mark an improvement an increase in the, in the happiness that hunting brings to society. Right. So, uh, yeah, but you know, I want people to decide for themselves because in I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. That's a very good stance. And some of these questions are going to get into that a little bit. Yeah. So I'm ready to start if you are. Yeah. All right. Number one, uh, uh, this one's from Reddit. Um, are you anti-new or adult onset hunt hunters? Uh, what if somebody just really wants to hunt and doesn't give a shit about Instagram, et cetera? No, I am definitely, definitely not opposed to new hunters. I am opposed to trying to 
generate more interest in hunting. Like the analogy, I use this analogy in a little video I recorded the other day is, uh, like I like cash, but I wouldn't be, I would be uncomfortable with the U S minting a bunch of new money, Mm. you know? Um, so it's like, I, for the sake of new hunters, um, as much as for the sake of long time hunters, I'm opposed to hunting recruitment. I'm I'm as, I'm as, I'm as concerned about somebody that's been hunting 20 minutes as 20 years and it's for their sake that. Uh, I, I oppose hunting recruitment and I, I don't, I, I don't, because, and I think that what motivates hunting recruitment has, is, is, I just have a hard time seeing it as anything, but be, being profit motivated. And, and to what degree are you concerned about, um, the, the motivations of all oh, that? Uh, part. Yeah. You, so you yeah. Know, if, yeah. 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 So I, I don't, I don't have, I don't have concern for people that don't, that are doing it for, for, for likes, fame or money. I just, that I don't right. think there's a, enough of the resource. The, the, it pains me to think of somebody that's out there, maybe a brand new hunter and they're giving it their best. They're giving it their all. that when, when their hunt is messed up by somebody that's out there for likes, Injust, right. injustice is served in my in my view agreed and and that to me is and uh, i could be wrong um, about that evan it's like maybe society thinks that hunting for likes and fame and money is what it's all should be all about i just i'm putting this out there as, i don't agree with that and if enough people other people don't agree with it may we band together and get something done like yeah. not through laws just by changing societal norms you know but anyway yeah no, I, I think that's that's an important part of it. Is is like, uh, why are new hunters coming on, right? Because if 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 our problem is uh, our problem with access and everything else uh, is because people are starting to hunt for the reasons that that we hunt and the reasons that that folks are you know interested in it, then I guess our whole thing is kind of moot, right? But if as I suspect, but can't prove, a lot of these new hunters are coming on for what I would consider the wrong reasons, and uh, then th- that really does become an issue, right? It's it's like if somebody's coming on because they want to, uh, you know, uh, uh, post something on Instagram or they want to prove their masculinity somehow or they want to do X, Y, and Z and and or make money uh, through this, then then they're crowding out people who who are hunting for the right reasons, and that's I, yeah, I, it's. It's hard to put it that way, but it is. It's, it is a matter of intent. Yeah. You know, and the, here's another question that we just like could dive into right now that's related to this. Would you mind like reading number 19? Yeah. Because this is now, now we've kind of gotten into that. Like we've, Evan and I have kind of organized these questions a little bit into categories. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So 19 is 
if social media went away tomorrow, uh, that means no Insta, TikToks, Facebook, MySpace, and even podcasts. How many people would instantly find a new hobby that had nothing to do with hunting? Yeah, and, and I don't know the answer to, to that question, but the, the the currency exchange platform we swap did a survey of a 200, 2008 young adults a few years ago, and 29% of them said that they would not go on a vaca- vacation in a place where they couldn't post about it on social media. So I got to think if people are a third of people that would their ability to post about their vacation dictates whether they'd go or not. (laughs) I think there's lots of people that kill more stuff than they would or are out there in the first place because uh, of the fringe benefits of posting it on social media. Yeah, I, I don't agree. know how many our our uh, one of the other contributors, Matt Finehour, the first time he came on the podcast, he said to me, he's, he was he said he's out fishing one day. And. Oh, here's what it was. He went fishing one day and the next day he's debating whether he's going to go again. He's and he's like. I realized that if I the only reason I was going to go the next day was because if I didn't. I was on vacation. I wouldn't have a, a fish to post. So I think there's a, I think there's, I don't know what the, how much, I don't know how much uh, interest in hunting would decline without it, but it is a motivating factor. I believe that for sure. And certainly it's, a, it's, it, 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 it motivates people to kill more than they need. I believe. I agree. Yeah. And, and just like the, 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 when you're out there and you're just hunting for your own reasons or meat or horns or whatever, like, like that's, um, I feel like it's, it's a different sort of, uh, there's different pressures, be them, be they financial or just like social, uh, in what you're doing in general. Right. So like if, if you are, um, just hunting for, for meat, let's say one elk is going to be, what you need right like you're 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 going to be happy but if if you're doing it to prove something or if you're doing it to make money then you're taking by by definition you're taking away opportunity from other people because you're going to be you know killing a whole bunch of animals and and i just i don't know i i that to me is is sacrilege in a way you know it's 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 an issue um yeah. And, uh, e- yeah. And, and, even, and, yeah. and also these people, the people that are like, have big followers, followerships and TV shows and stuff like that. They're always getting busted for poaching. Yeah. <laughs> they, they probably wouldn't be poaching if they didn't need to generate all the carcasses. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, question number two. Um, uh, how do you balance statistics stating that the percentage of the population that hunts has been steadily declining uh, with the perceived increase in pressure? Well, okay. So with that one, the 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 percentage of of people of Americans that hunt could be declining, and the raw number could be increasing dramatically because right 
we've gone over my lifetime, we've gone from 200 million to 340 million people. So I'm going to rephrase the question and because maybe they meant, I'm hoping they meant the number of raw number of hunters is declining. Yeah. Statistics indicating that. And first of all, there's a lot of uncertainty of that. Uh, Andrew McKean writing for outdoor life. And I think it was in 2019, he wrote an article. We have no idea how many hunters there are. And he gets into like the complications with trying to track that stuff like people buying licenses in multiple states. They only count as one hunter. People that have buy lifetime licenses, they only get counted once. So it's, it's quite, it's not as clear as one would hope, like how many hunters there are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then, so the question was how, how, why do I think like pressure hunting? Why do I think hunting pressure is getting worse, even though there might be fewer hunters? Let's just say for the sake of argument, there are fewer hunters. I still am not at all surprised that hunters per, per acre is is on a steady upward trajectory hunting that's how i define hunting pressure basically hunters per acre yeah cuz you have a couple things going on play far farms and branches that maybe 10 or 20 people used to hunt a year now you'll have one fat cat that leases up the whole thing so there's one hunter per ranch in a lot of cases right, right. And uh, habitat destruction. There's an estimate from a couple of years ago in Frontiers in Ecology and Evolution. These people, these scientists, looked at satellite data. We had one of the one of the authors of this paper on the podcast, and they figured that we've lost I don't four to eight percent of habitat for endangered species, and I don't know why it would be any different for non-endangered species. In the last 30 years, and it was like four on private public land and eight on private land, something like that, four and eight percent. So, yeah, between habitat destruction and leasing and and hunting leases and and development, you'd have the same size hunter population and still be more crowded. And, and what about geographic concentration of that, right? I mean, because a lot of the the social media um, uh, uh, advertising, so to speak, of hunting is Western hunting, right? So, like, if there are less hunters, but, you know, more and more of them are are going out West, do you see that as a potential issue? Um, or or even, like, to just go into hot spots that are highlighted so that people, you know, experience more pressure? Well. I don't, I don't know how to think about that. Cause I think a, a lot of, if, if people are traveling to the West to hunt more, and I think that in, in as much as that's happening, there's a cap on it. Like mm-hmm. there's only so many non-resident tags that the States give out. So it's kind of regulated, but in as much as that's happening, I think it's partly a, a consequence of people not being able to find a satisfactory experience in their own state i think that's true too 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like states like Kansas, Iowa, all over the Midwest, uh, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, the, the number of leased acres over my lifetime is dramatically increased as near as I can tell. It'd be yeah. hard. To, I don't have hard data on that. That's one thing that you just have to test it for yourself. Like all the, the everybody I talk to from all over the country tells me that there's a hell of a lot more leased land now and than there used to be in like, say, the East or the Midwest. Oh, yeah. So, if you're somebody that's interested in hunting, then you're going to be like, well, okay, I'm going to start traveling to where there's more public land. So it's all connected in my view. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, it used to be even when I started hunting that it, it was much easier to, to, you know, like get access for pheasants. Right. And, um, and now that's and, and Evans and, for the listening audience is in Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota. And and I I'm 37 so so I uh had you know I started hunting, you know, probably 15 years ago. And so it's not that long of a time in which that that resource has, has really kind of become um people been aware of its of its monetary value a little bit more. Um, and they're also aware, I think, of the the potential liability issues that that weren't there before, and that's only been you know a little 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 over a decade where I've seen that that change a lot. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, all right, number three. Uh, as a child onset hunt onset hunter, I've seen an alarming increase in hunter pressure over my lifetime. Uh, do you think there are more hunters on the landscape or just that the population of hunters we have is traveling to different regions now? Uh, kind of shut yeah, that Yeah, so book, like but... the reason I put those, I think I put those questions together, didn't I? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I kind of group them, grouped them to. Yeah. Yeah. So look, we, I, I think we did we did that one basically. All right. Um, all right, number four then. Uh, I'd be curious uh, as to how uh, Matt would remedy the precipitous drop in funding for conservation and state wildlife agencies uh, without creating more awareness about hunting. So like R3, um, it's all, it continues, it's all inter, uh, really inter, uh, inter, intricately tied web, right? Um, without new funding vehicles, as the hunter numbers continue to drop, uh, what, what should we do? So I can't answer that question without starting out by saying that the funding situation is better than it's ever been. Yeah. In terms of license revenues and PR dollars, it's better than ever. Uh, and then I have a lot of other thoughts like, like that, what, what that listener or that, that person in my mind, they, they make a lot of logical leaps or make a, a few very strong logical leaps to go from if if we don't if we don't have R three or hunting promotion, wildlife is going to suffer. And I mean that's that's the mainstream narrative, but I just don't follow the logic fully. Like for one thing, there's a sense in which fewer hunters. It would be a proxy for more funding because 
hunting pressure is is literally making it so that a lot of uh, wildlife habitat in the U.S. is uninhabitable mm. for large parts of the year. Right. And there's a large scientific literature on the effects of hunting pressure on spatial distributions of game species. They, they, these, the animals become nocturnal. They don't use the habitat that they're in to its fullest potential. They change habitat. They go to private land and concentrate there to escape hunting pressure. Uh, and it's more than just spatial distributions. There's all kinds of other evidence that I talk about too much uh, about the effects on reproduction, reproductive rates, reproductive behavior, fat storage, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't increase our three or like other efforts to increase the number of hunters to increase funding comes at a cost to the resource and nobody talks about it. So yeah. that that's one part of it. Another thing is, so I think what, what, if you, if you talk to somebody that toes the line on this, we need to recruit more hunters for conservation to fund conservation. I think that like what that stems from is them hearing talks or, or listening to, to well-known figures in the hunting community talk about how hunters brought back game populations from near extinction at the turn of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think that that is absolutely true that we did that. Like elk were nearly extinct. Yeah. Um, deer were extremely rare in the Midwest. Turkeys yep. were nearly extinct. So, okay. Hunters band together, raised money, did habitat work and restored North American wildlife. Well, we didn't have hunting videos back then. We didn't have hunting social media and hunting celebrities back then. We didn't have our three back then. So I'm just like, we did all that without trying to artificially boot or like, like go to great lengths to try to grow the hunting community then. So I, why do we have to do it? Now, especially when the funding picture is better than ever. Um, and so like, I think the reason that people just kind of buy this line that we need more fund money, more funding for, or wildlife is going to suffer. Like it's because that, 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 that belief is perpetuated by people that make more money when there's more hunters. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, those people either subconsciously or consciously, uh, you know, just wave the flag of, we need more hunters for conservation. I mean, you got to factor in that it could be because their bottom line depends on it. And then, yeah. and then another thing I'd, I'd say along those lines is 
you got to ask yourself this. Here's what I don't understand. And I, and I, I'm kind of making it a priority over the next year to understand this better. What is this funding doing? Okay. So in my hunting, I don't think that, okay, let's say that PR dollars had dried up five years ago. From a from a habitat perspective, I don't think any of the deer or the elk that I hunt would know that. Nothing in their experiential realm would let them know that. That's not to say that I want PR dollars to decline. I'm just saying what what exactly are these money money is this money being used for? Like uh I want to better understand that. I mean, by by its very nature, wildlife just needs wild places. And wild mm-hmm. places don't I don't see them as needing like to be constantly resuscitated and propped up. Once you have a functioning natural ecosystem, it kind of takes care of its plate itself. And then I think about a lot of the land where I hunt, BLM, Forest Service, it's not that habitat is not managed through hunting dollars. That's managed through the taxpayer dollars. Yeah. So I just don't, I've never had somebody say, like if this person that posed the question could have given me a concrete set of examples of what would happen in the next five years, if funding was cut 20% because we stopped doing R3, what would that, what would we lose? And it would, would it be better to forfeit what we'd lose in terms of wildlife and the effects of hunting pressure? Would it be better for wildlife to forfeit that? I don't know. I don't know. A lot of, about five years ago, PR, uh, the, the Pittman Robertson Act was amended, so a lot of the, now a lot of the money is used for R three, right? And in terms of the the money that's flowing in through Pittman Robertson, isn't it true that the the majority of that is through like um, competition shooters and things like that? I mean, I mean, because that's the other thing is it's like it's not just hunters who are paying into Pittman Robertson. It's, it's a lot of different folks and hunting is the only, I guess, fishing to some degree too, but is the only thing where on the back end, there's a limited resource that supports it. Right. Like if if everybody in America started being a competition shooter and going through, you know, uh, 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 three boxes of, of, uh, two, two, three a day, um, there's, as long as we got enough ranges, there's, there's nothing on the back end that limits that necessarily. Right. Like it's, there's, there's no, um, there, there, there's no crunch there, but, but for hunting and fishing in particular, there are wildlife populations where there's a, um, you know, there, there, you, you start to have those things at odds with, with one another. So I, I don't know how that all adds up. Yeah. We have, we have, 
Yeah, with I'd say that we could easily accommodate every person on the planet if everybody wanted to be a shooter. Right. But I don't understand how we accommodate satisfactorily more hunters. And I'm talking about I'm talking about institutions that are striving to increase the hunting population. That's what I'm talking about here. Why it, it just seems tone deaf to me to be doing that when the expanse of of intact ecosystems is diminishing and access to lands is diminishing so yeah Yeah. um on that same note next question here uh kind of ties into this why, why do you feel it's necessary to demonize uh, conservation organizations who contribute millions to wildlife habitat restoration efforts solely because they also support R3? Uh, goes on to say, without them, the situation would be even more precarious. Yeah, that's probably true, that it would not, it would be more precarious if not for some of the uh, conservation orgs but i'm extremely frustrated with them uh and it's not just r3 i I, the r3 thing is probably is is definitely a major part of my frustration for all the reasons we just talked about it's Mm. it's it's made the nonprofits the the puppet of the hunting industry it's like they don't they don't the hunting nonprofits do not first and foremost serve the sportsmen they're number one constituent is the hunting industry the the hunting industry gives them gives the nonprofits money so then everybody thinks that the hunting industry these companies are doing the right thing by donating to all to the rocky mountain elk foundations the trcps the the bhas etc etc so they get the, the optics of doing the right thing but really those those dollars come with major strings attached. The, the tacit agreement is that the hunting nonprofits will do recruitment and bring in more people that have no gear so that the hunting industry can sell them lots of stuff. Yeah. So it's like, I just, it just pisses me off because these people are supposed to be looking out for us. The biggest problems in hunting today are inability to, to draw tags, access, and crowding. And what's the in, in the in the hunting nonprofits like? They look at that, can't be argued. I mean, the story of hunting in America today is a study is the story of increased crowding, reduced tag allocations. And they look at that and they're like, "Oh, we're going to go, for, still going to go for more hunters." It's just so like blatantly they're just so blatantly blind to the facts they're probably not blind they're just it's a witting decision to ignore the 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 1200 pound purple gorilla in the room and still continue to strive for more hunters but it's more than just that it's like they can't take a tough stance on anything Mm -hmm. you know like uh they, they why 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 are we the only ones pointing out the problem with the hunting role models in this country a lot of them are people that shoot 15 big game animals a year 
how are like how is that not part of their educational program to say yeah don't shoot more than you need or how is it like when crowding and lack of access is such a problem that they are silent on leasing up big ranches for yourself in states that have programs that allow everybody to hunt. They just don't, they, they don't, they like, they're, they're just, they're mute on all the tough decisions. And it just, it's, I think that they should, uh, I think they should be warm to our plat elements of our platform. Like, I, how how none of them none of the nonprofits ever say you know maybe maybe it's not good for us like all these nonprofits to be like claimed to be concerned about the antis so how come they never say well this social media stuff is not doing us any favors and then and just right. kind of encourage their membership to step away from it when like it's caused hunting bans wait i thought you guys were concerned about anti hunters well, hunting social media has caused, caused hunting bans. So, so it's, it's just that they just they the hunting nonprofits are just so they just seem so unwilling to to do what it takes what it would take to improve what I think is a pretty like ridiculous situation in this country. Yeah. So. Yeah, I. To what degree do you think um, there's a an opportunity for them to improve uh, kind of that that stance um, and continue doing the work? Because you know when, when we looked into some of the previously looked into some of like the the expenditures for those funding nonprofits, um, some of their R three dollars were pretty pretty small so so it's is 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 your kind of uh, uh objection here a little bit more that they aren't taking that tough stand or is it is it a, a, really a lot more of that recruitment aspect that they're they're putting resources into it i think that they should i think that they should look out for their like the the people they say they're for hmm like backcountry hunters and anglers. It doesn't seem real backcountry to me when there's 50 trucks at the trailhead. Right. You know? So, and they wish there were 60. Yeah. I mean, they that's their stated objective is to have there be more hunters, to recruit more hunters, to reactivate people that have quit hunting into hunting. So it just seems like a betrayal of like, in that case, the name of the organization. Yeah. Like, and I look and I'm, I'm in Missoula tonight. I'm visiting my wife and like, this is the town where I don't mean to pick on backcountry hunters and anglers. Oh, this is where Rocky mountain elk foundation is headquartered mm -hmm. as well. And I don't mean to pick on either of them in particular. This goes for all of them, ducks on the minute, et cetera, et cetera. But like, here's a prime example. This town is 
growing in size very rapidly. And I just was talking to a guy, he's a friend of a woman I work with a couple of weeks ago about he's lived here his whole life, how this year he's like, I'm not even going to buy a tag. Because hmm. all these trailheads around here, this the Bitterroot Valley, it is unbelievable how many people are out hunting here. And I just don't. So the, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, BHA are right here. They these their employees, their leadership. They see it every hunting season. They probably don't. They probably go 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 somewhere else. I don't know what they do, but <laughs> they're like, yeah, 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 need more, need more. <laughs> right. It's just yeah. the most ridiculous thing imaginable to me that that's their stance so they could serve us they could do all kinds of things to serve us they they could work on they could they could they could try to educate their members about what the what media does to the cost of hunting access okay and so, and try to get their, their, I mean, this is the opposite of what they do. They, they, they stack their boards with hunting celebrities. Uh, right. But if they really wanted to sh- serve sportsmen that are struggling for access and a quality experience, they'd be opposed to hunting media because it jacks up the price of access. There are entire TV shows devoted to it. The Whitetail Properties is a show where they show you hunting content, then try to get you to buy the property where they're filming it. Uh, hunting Land Man is another show that does the same thing. There are probably dozens of hunting shows that they film the content and then they give a shout out to the outfitter who leased up all the land where they're filming. Yeah. This hunting media equals less access it equals paying more for access i mean that's what it it just do it does what advertising does i mean people knew this instinctively when i was a kid like you'd hear people say oh let's hunt in television this is going to be the end of it this is going to ruin hunting they just didn't articulate it fully out. Like they had this gut impulse that that was the case, you know, and now we're seeing it ramped up to 11. Yeah. I, I don't, I want to get on to some other questions here, but I, I just want to have one, one last kind of thought on this is that um, to what degree do you think that this is a, economic environment that is causing these things sort of just by um by by having the incentives that they have right so like good people just sort of like unthinkingly going down the wrong path because those are the incentives that are placed in front of them by the market you know versus um people who are sitting together and and thinking about like well we don't really care about these these hunters and and, and fuck them anyway but like uh it helps our bottom line. Like, like to what extent do you think it's, it's a sort of like neutral environment where there are incentives that are kind of causing this 
versus, you know, people sitting there and, and kind of, uh, uh, consciously making a, a negative choice to, to affect hunters this way. I think it's way more people that just haven't thought about it. Yeah. Like I, I used to fantasize about leasing my own ranch or farm or whatever, especially when I lived in Michigan, it was right. always a dream of mine. And it just got, it's gotten to a point now where is it, I mean, I just think that like saving hunting, like making it something that's attainable for everybody requires like our best chance of that is, is taking a tough stance and saying, no, let's just not do that. You right. know, or if you're going to lease it, then share it, make it like it's, a decent hunting spot because it doesn't have everybody there. Like you're the Jägermeister, you know? Right, right, right. Um, so, but I mean, then, but I, so I think that most people, it's not like, ah, ha, ha, ha. finally, I got that raise at work. Now I'm going to really like establish dominion over this land and lock everybody out. And right. Drive around town with my big buck and show them what, like, what I got when I'm done. Just to see jealousy. I don't think, but then I, I so, but then there are people, like the the most widely followed hunters. Some of them are people that are strike me as like exceedingly, yeah, greedy, antisocial. Yeah, yeah. Like people that shoot twenty big game animals a year, five elk a year, or whatever. And, right. show, and never, and, and and never miss an opportunity to show as many people as they can on social media. Yeah. So, and those are the, the, the that that is if there's I'm, uh, I if I if I'm not on to any other problems, that is a problem. Yeah, and it's not their impact on the resource that which is trivial because we're talking about a small number of individuals. If a small mm-hmm. number of individuals killed fifty big game animals a year. 500 big game animals a year won't have a, a meaningful impact, but it's their, their impact on other people's motivations. That yeah. being, that being modeled, having a million, 2 million followers that think that that's what success looks like is not good. Agreed. Yeah. It's, it's a perverse incentive for sure. And it, 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 yeah, it mixes things up. Um, all right. Uh, no, next question is kind of related, but what if hunting quietly, uh, ended up losing hunters, a lot of rights specifically like, uh, in New Jersey or Washington where spring bear hunting or, or bear hunting as a whole has been taken away. Um, is hunting quietly going to fix the problem, uh, by not drawing attention to the quote unquote horrors of hunting, uh, or make, it worse by having more states uh, take away rights because uh, you know people think of hunting as antiquated or for a crowd that doesn't seem to care. So kind of like uh, the passion, if if people aren't as passionate about it, so to speak, uh, is that going to uh, cause those rights to be taken away? Because we've hit on R three a lot. I'm going to yeah. answer this from the perspective. I'm going to assume that this person is talking about media instead. 
That's, I think that's right. Okay. So the only thing I oppose with respect to media is dead and dying wildlife content. So one of my earliest statements about, uh, my, one of my earliest public statements was this article I wrote about hunting social media in the opening paragraph says that I full throatedly support the use of social media to make hunters aware of issues that concern them. Uh, so the only thing that I oppose is dead and dying animals on, mm. on keep the rest of it fine. Um, so it's just hard for me to believe that. So then, then now the question is, um, do we need dead and dying wildlife content to protect our rights? And I just I don't buy it, especially when dead and dying wildlife content has caused all kinds of problems. Yeah. I, I don't think we need to show people dead animals and animals in the process of dying to maintain our rights. Yeah. Yeah. So like I've using, never even you, heard people argue that really like because it sounds weird coming out of it would sound weird coming out of their mouths. So they have to say it in some kind of vague way. Right. You know? It's a false equivalency. But I would yeah. love to have a debate with somebody where they're telling me, yes, we need to show society something dying to protect our rights. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a it, they're they're two very separate things. Like organizing a campaign to save uh, spring bear season on social media um, versus you know selling a workout video by showing you know fifteen dead elk a year. Th those aren't the same thing, right? And so yeah, um, and in the former, I think we need more of. Yes, right. hunters need to be more. I'm saying hunt quietly. Hunters should be very vocal and be very engaged about uh, protecting their rights, protecting yeah. habitat, protecting the future of hunting. I'm saying hunt quietly. Um, right. Advocate loudly. Yeah. The the thing that gets me about this all the time is that like like you said before with these these hunting celebrities they're giving so many new hunters a bad example to go by like those people generally speaking and again I don't have data on this but just they're not the people who are out there fixing these issues that are being caused right they're not the people who are out there uh, uh, organizing campaigns it's it's because their interest stops when the picture is posted and they get the likes. You know what I mean? And so like, if it directly affects them, great, but they're not thinking big picture about this shit. And they're not, you know, um, they're not the ones that are, are first on the gate to, to, you know, uh, uh, defend these, these different seasons. And so, or these different opportunities. So it's, yeah. It's, and on the rare occasion, one of them does step up. They got to make sure they had that they get credit for it. Right. They got, they got the camera there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It would be better to have, uh, uh, 
more more hunters on the ground who are plugged into those things and are hunting for the right reasons uh then I, I hate saying the right reasons because what is that really but like you know what well I'm saying? yeah uh, like we you i think our group has what we were i i look at it like this i think we have stated that what we believe are the right reasons are hide horns meet personal satisfaction yeah it's a self-reliance right. okay that comes from feeding yourself if 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 that is not a widely if it's not widely held sentiment if other hunter lots of other hunters don't agree that those are the right reasons then we will fail but it's kind of like a a, a plea in my in my opinion or like a a call is, are these the right reasons do you agree that they, these are the right reasons and if so join us yeah and let's strive to improve hunting for people that hold these things to be the right reasons. Yeah. And, and that's why I like, I like the idea of people making up their about stating our case and letting people make up their wrong mind, because if society thinks maybe society thinks what, what brings, what brings the most value to society is watching people shoot stuff on YouTube. Then, right. Then if that's what's most valuable to society, then we lose. Yeah. Yeah. And at some point you just have to say it, it is a value judgment and, and you just got to weigh, weigh those two things against each other. Right. Like it, it, it's not something that you can support by, uh, uh, you know, objective data. It is eventually just values and, and you got to have that debate in the marketplace of ideas. Right. Yeah. We should have another, put out another poll and ask people, I don't know how you phrase it, but do you, do you consider, um, hunting for social media clout to be a justified meat reason for killing an animal or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Pointed, but necessary. I, we, maybe it should be more subtle. Like you just list them all hide horns, meat likes money fame and have them check off which ones they think are legitimate yeah that'd be interesting to see yeah it would yeah because it could be if, if 95 percent of the people say that hunting for likes is just fine that does not bode well for our cause yeah <laughs> we can we can pack it in <laughs> yeah. um all right. How do you guys feel about fishing quietly? Uh, would you consider angling to have core tenants that differ uh, from what is required uh, for to hunt? In a, in a large sense, no. In a, in a very fundamental sense, it's a little bit more perverse when you're killing the creature, which could you could be with fishing. But I guess I'm opposed to using any activity to draw attention to yourself that where the supply is outstripped by the demand. So whether it be surfing where crowding is a big issue, I think you should mm -hmm. surfing should be reserved for people that do it for the love of surfing. And I got, and I've, I've recently interviewed two different surfers. So we got uh, a couple podcasts with surfers coming up. Uh, it was kind of cool. Both of them hunt too. So those nice. turned into interesting conversations, mountain, mountain, uh, mountaineering. Yes. 
crowding is a huge issue there. Oh, terrible. Yeah. So I know I, I, I'm as in, I'm as inflamed about people that mountaineer or surf for likes as I almost as inflamed as I'm people that kill stuff for likes. I just feel like those activities should be reserved for people that just do it for, cause they have a love for doing it. Right. And it would be different in my mind. It would be different if it wasn't a limited resource, right? Absolutely. Like, like- Absolutely. Who cares what, if, if yeah. people take pictures if everyone can do it? But if by definition, you know, uh, you doing it for the likes means I can't do it for, you know, the this reason that I think is more important, then, then that's where the problem comes in. Right. right. Oh, I I I love MMA. And the, you know, like, I watch a lot of UFC. And like I, there's no amount of fame some of those guys could achieve that I wouldn't applaud for them because it's right. not negatively impacting other people. Right now, there's a case to be made that I shouldn't be watching it because these people are damaging their brains, and I'm providing <laughs> eyeballs that incentivize them to do that. <laughs> yeah, right. So right. Maybe it's not the best example, but yeah, that's a separate issue, though. In the yeah. end, you know, uh, uh, and, and I agree with you. It's it's not like there's a there's a hunting or the, there's a hiking trail that's right across from my my cabin where I am right now. Um, that that is just. It, it, it's, it's a beautiful place and there's all these different things that you can do out there. And it used to be a really quiet place that I'd take my kids and we'd go hang out. And then these Instagram influencers have now discovered, you know, some of the aspects of the trail that I won't advertise here that um, they could take a lot of pictures of. And now every time I go out there, I can't find a parking spot. Right. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's, it's like that, that has nothing to do with hunting, but it, it does have something to do with a limited resource that, that, is being kind of ruined by these people who are benefiting financially and, and, uh, in their own social media satisfaction from it. Right. And, and when you say yeah. ruined, you mean nobody's experiences is, is very good there now because of all. The yeah. Things. Because yeah. it's, it's crowded and there's, there's trash all over and there's, I mean, it's terrible. And, and some of the, um, some of the features there, uh, there's, there's these rock faces and stuff that are, are getting destroyed by people rocking all over them because it's not, you know, to that, that it, it, again, it's, it's a limited resource in a way. I wouldn't have an issue with it if, if the, 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 the carrying capacity of the space was unlimited, but it's not. And, and now it's like, uh, we were talking earlier about, you know, the, the age difference in, in my kids. So my, my 16 year old got to experience it as this pristine place. And my four year old's never going to get to see it as that because of, of, Instagram pictures and, and spreading yeah. popularity of it. And that's, that's the issue, you know? No, if, 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 yeah. If, 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 if a hunting opportunity was infinite, I would, I would, I would, I would never have even dawned on me to start a podcast yeah. and team up with some people and do what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. A positive one here. What would the hunting world look like in 10 years if you were wildly successful? Okay, I wrote some notes for this one. Nice. Sorry, I'm getting there. So hunters would band together. They wouldn't be like me my whole life where all I did was hunt. I mean, that's that's great, but it's i think there there's there should be a a period in any hunter in every hunter's life 
where they get to experience that some sequence of years where they're not worried about the future of hunting. They're just hunting. It is, mm-hmm. it's like kids should have that opportunity, you know, but fairly early on, I think you have to break it to them that it's, that it, that it's fragile. Yeah. And that they, and then you gotta, you gotta, uh, take steps to protect it. Um, work, but in the steps would be things like working on access for everybody, not just yourself and working on maintaining wild places where the things you, the animals you want to hunt live. So there'd be a lot less like, Hey, look at me bullshit. And a lot more people just doing the work behind the scenes to secure the future of hunting. That would be one thing. Um, I, I, we'd be successful in cultivating a, a, like an atmosphere sharing in our community where, you know, people really thought about how good they have it. If they have got some big lease or they own a bunch of land and they, and they, it just starts to become like what you do. Like in the same way that people help out the elderly, they do meals on wheels or something like that, you know, or give back in some way at their church or in their community. It just, this was another thing that was just, it's just doing the right thing. When you're blessed with lots of land, uh, that you share it. That would be a major success in my in my view. And I'm not talking with me. Don't share it with me because then it makes it like I'm like trying to do this so that people share their spots with me. I'm not looking. Right. I, it's not about me, man. It's really not about me. I got a lot. I got a, pay, a bunch of llamas. I can get up in the mountains, kind of get away from people. I still enjoy the shit out of my hunting. I have a cabin in Alaska where it's not impacted by other people hardly at all. Um, but I would like to see this for other people. You know, so I would like to, I would, I would consider us successful if we could get the hunting orgs to reorientate and focus on their core constituency, which is the existing hunting community. Get them to work on retention and do away with the reactivation and the recruitment. Um, it would it, it would be I think it would precipitate a number of positive changes if like it would become widely acknowledged, say, that hiring an outfitter to take you out on a huge ranch's least show you a buck and then you shoot it that that was not like an accomplishment oh man yeah uh i i think that the yeah that that would probably open up land that people get their through their head that that first of all the amount of opportunity you have to deprive others to have that experience is kind of selfish in my view, and it's just mm-hmm. not an accomplishment. Um, 
So then what would be another one? I, I have a few more here. Oh, yeah, people wouldn't draw attention to themselves, use hunting to uh, draw attention to themselves and sell products. Um, hunting fame would cease to be a thing. I think that that if, yeah. if, if, it, if it wasn't for that as a, is something that people strive for. I think there'd be major benefits to that. So like if my hunting is negatively impacted, like I'm out hunting and it's negatively impacted by somebody else, just knowing that that person uh, was motivated by hide horns meat, but, and not likes fame and money, that would be major improvement to me. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's what success would look like to me. That's great. Yeah, I, I agree with you that like if if in my head, you know, uh uh having having hunting pressure, having something ruined, if I if I knew that that person was, you know, doing it for the right reasons and it would it would make that much more bearable, right? Because yeah. you, your mind just goes to the worst place now. But yeah. yeah. Um all right. Uh, a couple of these, it's an interested time here. Let me go to this one. Uh, what thoughts do you have on applications like Onyx, GoHunt, et cetera, uh, that allow hunters and fishermen greater access through knowledge of navigation, hunt draw odds, harvest stats, um, and uh, stuff that would uh, otherwise be unavailable uh, without great effort? Um, what, do you, what do you think about that and how that plays into I think, okay, so Onyx and GoHunt, I have major problems with both those companies. Uh, GoHunt facilitates the privatization of wildlife by, like, selling outfitter-sponsored tags. Mm -hmm. It's like, I I don't know why they have to be involved in that. So, I don't even think there should be landowner and outfitter-sponsored tags at all. And I think that if, if, uh, if states need to generate revenue through license sales, then just have it be a lottery right. uh, so that everybody has an opportunity. It's not the guy that owns what's Jimmy John's or whatever, spend, right. spend $200,000 on a sheep tag or whatever the hell. Um, so, and then Onyx, like it's just the hypocrisy is stunning to me that the owner of that, company like makes all these videos about like bemoaning landlocked public land while at the same time he buys uh outfitting business and is is guiding on at least 16,000 acres of yeah. landlocked public land I, I just don't see how it gets much more hypocritical than that and the hunting industry has a long history of doing similar shit like that taking the money we give them for products and then using that money to do stuff that that's against us. Um, so yeah. but, but all that said, I think that the mapping software is, is a good thing. Anything that allows yeah. people to have confidence in accessing lands that they're legally allowed to access is a good thing it's not good for me because i can read a map you know right but, right but still you know 
it's a good thing in my view. Yeah, it's it's like uh, uh, there used to be a higher barrier to entry, which I I sort of enjoyed, right? Like to to be yeah, able selfishly, to say, like, heck yeah, yeah, absolutely. You got to be able to do this. You got and and you had to like source it from different areas. But uh, going back to the conversation about like equality of opportunity, um, that that does allow people to assert their rights to to access public land, you know, a lot better. And and I've certainly used that for. Uh, those purposes so it's um yeah it's a it's an equalizing factor i agree um all right uh here's 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 a different one here uh how matt how do you as a transplant from michigan justify your comments uh uh on a podcast about um how you're tired of transplants coming to live uh where you live and hunt or coming to hunt where you live and hunt i don't you think that's a little bit hypocritical uh, that one's pretty simple to answer. I never yeah. said that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I never said anything along those lines. So yeah, people like to impute beliefs. Uh, I guess they probably do this to a lot of people that say things that kind of rub them the wrong way. It's like they twist it around into the person having said something else like right. in their mind. Um, maybe. During that very podcast, my brother said that if he was on the board of B Montana BHA, he would vote for doing away with R3. Yeah. So it's like, um, I don't know why I got to be like the stick in the mud in that podcast. I certainly never said anything along the lines of what, what, the, what this person's, uh, suggesting yeah yeah nor have you said that you're you're against um uh, adult onset hunters which is a question that came up a bunch too so it's like these there there's there's sort of like uh sublimating these assumptions uh, well, uh based and on I, that, but. yeah and, and and i have sympathy for that it's pretty i could you can see how somebody would go he doesn't like hunting hunting recruitment um so he doesn't like new hunters. Like, right. If you're in the process of being recruited, if you're being shown attractive content to try to get you interested in hunting so that you buy products, I'm opposed to that content because we already, and I'm opposed to it in large part for the sake of people that have been hunting 20 minutes. Right. Right. Yeah. It, I guess in my mind, it's like the doorway to, to what opens up hunting for you is not as important as the intentions of why you're hunting, right? Like for me, what got me hunting coming from a family that, that were antis, it was, it was Sand County Almanac, man, which is like, you could say that that's like more, more or less pure than another thing, but what really matters, it, it doesn't really matter. Like what really matters is your intentions going in, right? Like if you, if you watch, you know, some of these Instagram influencers and that inspires you to, to hunt for the right reasons in the end, I guess that's not that, that terrible. But the, the, the issue is of course, that that's not what's happening, right? Like, like the majority of people who are being, I, I think there's no proof of this, but in my mind, the majority of people who are, who are starting because of those, uh, uh, access points are, 
going out there for the wrong reasons and their and their and their idea of what hunting is is you know incorrect right and so yeah i think that they're the, the what's what influencers are modeling to them yeah is right. the whole thing it's not like oh now i want to get my own game meat right. i want to get my own game meat and show it like this person and right. kind of glorify my lifestyle to right. yeah it's it, it, it's cultural signifiers of like quick easy this is who i am right versus like uh, actually i just want to eat a deer steak you know and uh, you <laughs> but know i think I, that there just... are i have met people that have been brought into hunting by media that don't do media so in fairness absolutely there are people yeah. be like there's a in the bible I, there's like some passage about the impure vessel right like, you know like just because yeah you, yeah because you brought into hunting by like dubious means doesn't mean that you're not in it for the right reasons. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's a matter of like, again, it's the, it's the access point versus the intention of, of why you're there. Right. And in the end, I I feel like, I I guess some of, a lot of these problems could still be here and have people there for the right reasons. Like, like, let's say that you can wave a magic wand and hunting media goes away. And there's still overcrowding. Well, then at that point, at least, like you, you said, you're, you're, out. <laughs> yeah, you're, and you're sharing, you're, you're sharing this space and you're, you're suffering through the crowding, but everyone else who's on that mountain or, 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 you know, in that WMA are, you know, folks who are there for the right reasons. It's easier to stomach that, right? It, it yeah. just is. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Um, uh, what, if any, uh, is the downside to hunting quietly. Boy, that's one I should have taken notes on. I guess the downsides would be, are the potential downsides would be the ones that are the mainstream view. Yeah. That I'm wrong. That if we don't do our three and kill animals on camera, that wildlife will suffer and that we'll lose our rights. I guess the, the, the downside, the, the downsides of doing what I'm, what we're proposing would be that the mainstream is right. Yeah. Yep. And one thing that I, I just want to add to that, uh, is that, I think if you're, if you take away all of that and you're just talking about like your own personal satisfaction, you know, from, from hunting and posting it versus hunting and not posting it. Um, I, I gotta say, I have, I, I, I you know, I used to post things on Instagram or whatever. And I, I always had a private Instagram, but, but, um, there, it feels better now that I'm a, a, a purist, you know, volunteering here and not posting anything. It, it kind of feels like when I first started hunting again, right? Like, like there is no other, my, my intentions are not polluted. Right. And so I think that people would find if that was gone, that there actually are some benefits to like, um, to engaging with the activity again in, in a more pure form. And, mm-hmm. and I think that it's, it's not just that you're losing something like you're, you're losing that instant dopamine hit, but you're, you're gaining, you know, a lot in there that, that really makes you 
it, it, it makes it better in some way. Yeah, so you're I, more immersed in the experience. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm not thinking about, you know, uh, X, Y, and Z, but I, I am thinking about just the, the, the experience that I'm currently having and, and, and experiencing as it's coming, you know? God damn, this yeah. is such a great conversation. I'm enjoying the heck out of these questions, but my wife is making me go see Barbie. Oh, all right. Well, enjoy that. Are you you got to go pretty soon here? Yeah, maybe one okay. more and then I should probably roll. All right. And I'm not um, even, I mean, it's like I'm disappointed. Everybody's talking about what a wonderful movie it is. Yeah. Maybe, I'll, have you seen it? I haven't. No, I, I, I haven't seen a damn movie in, in months now, but uh, I've heard it's good. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, all right, I'll pick one more here. Uh, da -da. Well, all right, this is a little bit of bait, but uh, what is your take on people who hunt but don't eat what they harvest? I mean, I wouldn't pay us to pass a law against it. Like, let's say they have some kind of meat allergy. You know, I wouldn't pass a law. I wouldn't vote, but but. Man, but me personally, no way, no way. Yeah. It would just feels like it feel like kissing your sister, right? Like it's just what such a huge part of it would be of the motivate. Like, yeah, man. When I shoot something, like I'm looking at that meat, and I'm like, such a like big part of it is that that's going to be what I eat. You know? Yeah. Right. So I yeah, I, I wouldn't personally. Um, Same. But and then okay, let's say with okay, there's another class of people. There's people that couldn't eat it, and then there's people that won't eat it. I think those people should quit. I agree. Like I and and there's an another thing about this too, where it's like I, I personally know people who are, for some reason, it seems to be dentists. And I, I don't know why, but like they, they, they have expo like disposable income, uh, disposable income rather. And they, they go out and they, they have this experience and they, and they, it, it's a signifier about who they are, right? It's like, oh, I'm not just a dentist. I'm also a outdoorsman, right? And they put it out there and they say, oh, well, you know, I donated all the meat. And and so I am also mm -hmm. a good guy for donating the meat. And it's like, you, first of all, you can't legally just throw the meat away. So like you, you had just, to do something. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like, 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 okay. Uh, and B it's like, then, then why are you doing that? Like, uh, there are other ways to like, to like, put your cultural signifiers or like prove your masculinity or whatever, like go and help a rancher for you know, a couple days, you know, like that makes you look cool too. post that on Instagram. I don't know, but you don't need to go out there and, and, uh, shoot an animal that then you turn up your nose at the meat. And it, I just, something about that just really rubs me the wrong way. And I, I agree. It shouldn't be like a government intervention to say no, but it should be frowned upon, man. And, yeah, and it's not. Yeah. It, yeah. It definitely should be. And again, it goes back to being a limited resource. Let's say it was unlimited. Yes. Right. Then fine but there's a yeah. lot of people out there would love to um shoot these you know harvest these animals and and use them for food um, yeah I, I don't know i just i even have a problem with that in a way because it's like it's like you're why why kill it in the first place then i i don't know and yeah and, and it's yeah 
I don't know, but it's I just yeah, yeah. Same here. All right, all well, right, Evan. Hey, man, we we could uh, think about doing a part duh, with some of these remaining questions at some point. We've got a bunch. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, let me know. We can we can keep going. But thanks, thanks all a right. lot, Matt. Thanks, Evan. Take care. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.